This is In the Zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk. High school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State, and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone. And we are live for another Monday edition of In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. I'm Jackson Schneider, surprising James Wessling by actually showing up in the office on a Monday. James, are you shocked? I am shocked. Is there a Kansas Wesleyan coaches show tonight, <laughs> or what's the story? I know we didn't get paid today, so you're not here to pick up your check. I'm, I, th- I thought for sure I'd be hosting and you'd be remoting in like we do every once in a while. I just missed you. Oh, That's yes. All. Now, I'm, I'm going to the Jackson Brown concert here shortly, so as soon as we're done heading over to the Stiefel Theater with my mom, who is a huge Jackson Brown fan, as you may note, my name is Jackson. So this is a significant concert for my mother, and so I had to go with Laura to this great concert this evening. Very excited to take in Jackson Brown. Are you I've, named after Jackson Brown? In a way, Brown? yes. This. The, my mom does this thing where any person named Jack or Jackson that's like remotely famous or had a hand in anything in my parents' lives, uh, they'll say, well, that was just another reason why we named you Jackson. So Jackson Brown is one of them. My dad, who you, you've heard this a bit, but he's been in the liquor industry for his job for a long time, and he worked for Valley of the Moon and a couple other wineries like Jack London who owned them and he's also an author and all then there's all there's just a lot so i'm just gonna say i am not named after jackson brown but it is a reason why they landed on this name because there were a lot a lot it's kind of ridiculous right and there's a lot of james out there but i'm named after james bond really fun fact wrestling James Wesling. <laughs> my dad is obsessed with James Bond and was even more obsessed around the time that, that I was born. And it came down to being named after a great uncle on my mom's side or being named after James Bond. And my dad somehow, by a miracle, uh, won the argument. And here I am as James Bond. So that was always my fun fact that I would share with the classroom when we're asked to stand up and say something unique and interesting about that- ourselves. I'd always start with that. Yeah, that kicks ass. Yeah. You are an international man of mystery. Right. That is I, for sure. Well, and it's I very just, fitting. I just watched Spectre over the weekend <laughs> as well. So just kind of a, a prelude to uh, No Time to Die, which is on my, my James nice. Bond bucket list yeah. as well. My, my dad is also a James Bond nut. He's yeah. got old post like movie posters from like the Sean Connery days. Oh, yeah. And he's got literally every... James Bond movie ever yep. made My on dad DVD. Well. My dad is so well. he's a, yeah. he's a nut. I can relate to that. Um, but I didn't watch any James Bond over the weekend. In fact, I was head over heels into getting re-immersed in Stranger Things, which the new season came out. But I was about to start season four, and my girlfriend says. Oh well, I haven't seen any of it. I just haven't what? watched it, and I about lost it. How how has this been a thing for what four years or something now, and you've never watched an episode? So we crushed season one and season two in two days, and we watched the first two episodes of season three. So by this 
time next week. I'm hoping we'll be done with season four, uh, but I had to get her caught up because I wasn't going to watch that and then have to answer all the questions for oh, such yeah. a complicated backstory. I just said, yeah. you're going to have to sit down and watch this because I'm not going to do it any justice. Now, you know that with season four, the the first seven episodes are out on Netflix, but the last two episodes, eight and nine, won't hit Netflix for a couple of weeks. So they leave you with a huge cliffhanger. I've blown through season four. I'm all caught up. They leave you with this huge twist and cliffhanger at the end of episode seven. And now we have to wait. I think it's two or three weeks. It might be the first week of July. So maybe even a little bit longer before episodes eight and nine come out, which from Netflix's point of view is actually really smart. They need to start doing this more often because they're losing subscribers in droves and they're going to start losing even more once they stop the account sharing option on their platform. So Netflix has to do something. And I think this is a good way and a good move for them going forward. You know, I, I'm a big fan of when platforms drop like an episode a week, almost like it's airing on TV. Uh, but I, I also hate it to the for what you just said, because now we're going to blow through season four by like this time next week and I'm going to be pulling my hair out for two weeks trying to figure out what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But it does kind of help me because it gives me a chance to catch up before any really big spoilers. I've been working really hard to avoid any spoilers, so please okay. don't ruin it. So I'm not going to spoil this for you, but I think you will uh, share the same frustration that I had. So we had watched up to episode six with one episode to go season four. And I'm on Twitter, just casually scrolling through Twitter. Most of my feed is sports-related. But somehow, someway, out of nowhere, the biggest twist in the entire series was right there before my eyes on Twitter. And so it completely spoiled it, ruined it for me. I knew exactly what the big twist was mm. in Episode 7. So I had to sit there and watch the whole thing just unfold before my eyes, knowing what was going to happen. So I at least got to watch my wife enjoy it because I didn't share with her what I had seen. But dude, I was so mad. Who you, does like who does that? That's that's pretty messed up. That's like a cardinal sin yes. of the world we live in today is spoiling the Netflix shows uh, before everyone has seen them. Yeah. But before we get too deep in the Netflix tangent, we well, this is a sports talk show. But I had my first experience in broadcasting arena football on Saturday night. And it was the Salina Liberty, but I was the color analyst for the Southwest Kansas Storms video feed. So I had to have sort of a tilt to the opposite side of what I normally would. Uh, but it was my first time actually broadcasting some champions indoor football, James. And I'm, I got to tell you, that was one of the most fun sporting events I've ever broadcast in my life just because it was just constant action and it was really high quality football for for I don't know what I was expecting really to broadcast but it was awesome have you have you done any CIF football at all never play by play and I don't know that I know the rules well enough that I just feel like somehow I would screw it up I definitely couldn't do it on radio I tip my cap to those in our area that do 
I could maybe get away with it on TV because, let's be honest, as a play-by-play guy, there are many sports you can call without actually knowing the nitty-gritty of the rules. I've done that many times before. Um, so, yeah, I could probably get away with the TV-style broadcast. What was the final score, though? It was an interesting one. That's the fun part. It, it was, was super high the, scoring. The right? Liberty ended up pulling away, and I want to say they won like 35-13 to 13 or something like Dang. that. But it was 16-10 to 10 at halftime. But... The Storm didn't score a touchdown to get. They scored five points in each of the first two quarters. Okay, how do you score five points? Field goal, safety, safety, field goal, <laughs> blocked extra point return for two. Wow! And then another field goal, but they were never able to get into the end zone. The Liberty's defense was just way too good. And with the win, by the way, Arcelina Liberty. They are the two-seed in the CIF playoffs, so they earn a first-round bye, just like the Sioux City Bandits, who are the top seed overall. The only team to beat Sioux City, by the way, the Salina Liberty. So that's pretty sweet. The playoffs, I think, start next week. And then again, the, the Liberty get a bye and a chance to win and get into their third straight Champions Bowl appearance. I, I was all in on the research for the CIF over the it would have been Friday evening that was kind of what I did before we got into the stranger things rabbit hole that night I learned all the rules I learned all the history that I could and it is a very interesting game I'm I'm a big fan so as soon as I officially get moved to Salina here in about a month or so now I'm counting down the days by the way um gonna be a regular at the Tony's Pizza Event Center for the Liberty. Okay, so what are the biggest discrepancies between regular football and arena football? Well, what there's are... no punting, okay. which is pretty. It sounds like are there four downs? Duh. Yes, you get okay. four downs, uh, but and it's ten yards for a first down. Uh, if you kick it off and it, it's like a touchback, if it goes out of bounds, or even if it's all the way out of the back of the end zone. You get the ball at the 25, which is and midfield. It's, yeah, it's only a 50-yard yes, field. it's right? a 50-yard okay. field, and uh, there are walls, but if you run into the wall, you're out of bounds. Okay. Like, you can, you know, like, you can slide to give yourself up as a quarterback, or if you're on the sideline as a receiver, you can, like, stick the ball out of bounds. Okay. And then the clock is constantly running. Okay. Constantly. And... You get down to like the final minute of each half. There's a one-minute warning instead of a two-minute warning. But then to keep the clock running, you have to move the ball forward. You can't take a knee. You, In order for the clock to move continually, you have to gain yards. Okay. However, you, you can do that. So if you get stopped for a loss, it helps the defense get the ball back. Um, I like that. Onside kicks are very common because of the size of the field. Yeah. It is very common to just squib it with weird bounces up the field and see what happens. Yep. And a lot of times the team that kicks off will get it back. Uh, and that creates a very entertaining uh, kickoff. Uh, but it also is kind of a gamble because it's very easy to get the coverage to then break down and then return the kickoff for a touchdown. Sure. So it's it's very, very interesting stuff. But uh, I'm can you tell I enjoyed it? I'm a big yeah, fan no, now. I, I like some of these rules. Uh, I actually like a lot of the rules, especially the clock stopping on um, negative plays because that should reward the defense. Big fan of that one. I like the special teams aspect. I'll check it out. I've been to Liberty Games, and I used to go to Salina Bomber Games when they were in town. 
but um, I haven't been in a while, so this is kind of sparking my interest. I hope they have a good crowd for what should be a home playoff game, yeah, right? Yeah, they're guaranteed yep, they're, a home. They'll be game. home for their the semifinal round, uh, but then I think it depends on who wins the other game, whether or not they're at home for the Champions Bowl, I think. Okay. But again, still pretty new to myself, but I will say this will be a very pro Salina Liberty sports talk show, uh, especially starting next season because it was an absolute blast. And it was really the highlight of my, my weekend because um, it was there was just a lot of layers to it because I wasn't physically at the game. I did it remotely, and the game was in Dodge City, but I was broadcasting from a really cool, unique setup in Topeka, uh, which is kind of the headquarters for the CIF. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was just a really, really cool broadcast. That I've done some remote broadcasts before, kind of conjured up by my own technology, but yeah. it was nothing compared to this setup. I felt like a legit pro with all the camera angles and the talk back, and I could hear everything between the at the stadium producer yep. to the guy that was in the next room over from me yeah. in his like basement living room kind of it was it was just a really cool experience for me so big big fan of that um but on the the sports like actual news and things going on James we've got a lot to get to today two big topics um Michael Bishop back on the college football hall of fame ballot for like fourth or fifth time so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the big story I want to talk about when we get back, we'll let this marinate over the commercial break, is the Denver Broncos potentially having some new ownership, uh, according to an article published earlier this morning. We'll get into that, especially the numbers behind it, because they will make your head spin. That's coming up in just a little bit on In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. In the Zone is powered by Spartan Roofing and Exteriors. They specialize in roofing, guttering, siding, windows, and doors. For commercial or residential work, you can go to SpartanRoofingAndExteriors.com to schedule a free inspection or a project consultation today. And I know with some of the weather that's blown through Kansas over the last few days, there's been a lot of people calling roofing places to get their their houses looked at i know up near hayes and stockton where i have some family they had like sustained golf ball sized hail for like almost a half an hour on i think last night almost or, or saturday night um but still crazy and if that happens near us you got to call uh, spartan roofing and exteriors they'll get you helped out uh during the kansas storm season james Big story today. The the lead story, really, is that the Denver Broncos could potentially have a new owner by as early as like next week, potentially. And it's Walmart heir Rob Walton. And the expected purchase of the Denver Broncos is a record-setting $4.5 billion, with a B. Like, I feel like Dr. Evil, billion dollars, <laughs> because it's ridiculous. And I think it's it's almost $2 billion more than the highest all-time 
purchase of an NFL franchise, which was a couple of years ago. Uh, But to get a little deeper in this, the guy who's buying it, Rob Walton, his net worth is an estimated $59.6 billion, which would just shatter every other NFL owner, making him like several times over the richest owner to the point of he, he is literally worth the next six richest NFL owners combined. Good Lord. Which is crazy. That is crazy. And that's what stuck out to me as well was his overall net worth. So sure that 4.8 or whatever the final number is going to be, billion dollars for the Broncos, when you're worth 58 or $59 billion, that's just a drop in the bucket for you. And the, the Walton or the, not Walton, Walmart family, as I like to call them, you know, they own the entire state of Colorado when it comes to sports teams. It's five teams and one family. They own the Colorado Avalanche. They now own the Broncos. They own the Colorado Mammoth. They own the Denver Nuggets. They own the Colorado Rapids of the MLS. They've got them all except for the Colorado Rockies. And as recently as just last year, the Denver Post was floating around the idea that the Rockies might actually be for sale in the near future. So they're probably going to own them pretty soon as well. So this is one family that now owns almost the entire state of Colorado and their sports teams. And they're not a techie family. You know, they come from the Walmart air, uh, which is a lot different than like, you know, if somebody like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk was buying a mm-hmm. sports team, which hasn't happened yet, but it makes me wonder, you know, Mark Cuban bought the Dallas Mavericks, but Mark Cuban, when he bought the Mavericks, wasn't on the level that like a Mark Zuckerberg or a Bezos would be financially. And so we're already starting to see, you know, sports um, and, and from an entertainment perspective, like it's not all ESPN and CBS anymore. Amazon is starting to get a pretty big piece of the pie. They just landed that huge deal with the NFL. And I think that's just the start of kind of this transition or this merger between maybe some sports teams and the tech world. I don't think it's going to be ESPN and CBS and NBC dominating 20 years from now like they have in the past. My fear is that it's going to trickle over into some of these guys actually wanting to get their hands on a franchise and what they might do. So, um, you know, I bring that up only because we're talking about his overall net worth. Um, He's in the same neighborhood as some of these other names that we've brought up, but it's pretty crazy. I mean, the Broncos and and a lot of this is being um, tied to inflation, which is at an absolute high. Um, If the Broncos can go for this much, there are other teams that can go for this much. And the bottom line is they've crunched the numbers. They believe they can make money and they will make money. So uh, sports financially just continues to uh, go through the roof. So it's not official, but it is expected because he is the clubhouse leader with the offer. There were expected offers kind of hovering around $4 billion, which would still smash the record for the most expensive sale of an American sports franchise, which was, I think, the, the Brooklyn Nets a couple of years ago for not quite $2.5 billion. Uh, but with this offer being almost a half a billion more than the earliest expected offers, um, it's probably pretty unlikely that anyone else will come in with enough money to kind of outbid 
Rob Walton. So that's kind of where things are sitting at. But they are going to entertain potentially other bids if there are any. Um, but that is still this is still something that's going to be in the works. But this is all in an article from CBS Sports. There's stuff from Forbes, um, which led that Forbes article led me to another one because I was just curious because they do annual like monetary reviews uh, about sports franchises really uh, from everywhere. But uh, I, I looked at their most recent NFL valuations and it obviously was the Dallas Cowboys that were valued at $6.5 billion. That was the leader in the clubhouse for overall value, um, which is actually up 14% from 2020 to 2021. And they have an operating income of $280.4 million, which is way higher. It's almost double the second place team, which is the New England Patriots, for their work uh, operating income and their worth of five billion. Uh, but I'm curious how high these numbers shoot up now, considering that the Broncos. I had to scroll all the way down to number ten on the list for most valuable NFL franchises, and at the time this was written last year, uh, it was just three point seven five billion dollars for the Broncos' value. And their $8.2 million operating income, which is pennies compared to the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but I, I, f- I have a feeling if we look at these updated numbers in the coming weeks when we get the updated article from Forbes, um, that number is going to skyrocket because of inflation and I think just the, the value of sports and sports franchises in general. Yeah, and I do think that we will see this trickle down to our level, if you will, and probably our listeners' level, in that, you know, the ticket prices for sporting events at the professional level are only going to go up. Concession stands, price of beer, everything else is only going to go up. And there's an article that I was just reading a moment ago about, you know, this writer for SB Nation was talking about um, – you know how Walmart, as a company, is known for making very small tweaks to um, their agreements with suppliers and things like that, and just their pricing structure that make that, that make huge dividends and for the company. And so, you know, that's something that you know that that is where it does impact us is just these skyrocketing prices of these franchises. Everything is going to be more expensive. But the bottom line is that's what we want to do. We want to go watch sports. Uh, we'll watch it on television if we can't go to the game, which adds TV value. You know, we'll pay ridiculous amounts for a ticket to go. Um, we'll pay the ten dollars a beer when we're in the stadium, maybe even more. You know, so uh, as long as that's happening, and in this post-pandemic era, if you want to call it that, where sports fans are hungrier than ever to actually attend mm-hmm. sporting events, and so I think that that plays a role as well. Now, looking at this Forbes article, and again, this is last year's data uh, for the the value of NFL teams. I want you to guess, James, what is the least valuable NFL franchise? Oh, well, for some reason, I think it's not going to be the obvious choice, which would be the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's correct. It is not. Jacksonville, let's see if I can find them. They're actually surprisingly high for my because I was along the same thoughts. They're 26 on the list of 32, which is 2.8 billion dollars in value. Okay. 
so you can knock them off. All right. So the lowest valued NFL franchise. I'm going to go with maybe the Detroit Lions. That see that's who I thought outside of Jacksonville, but they're actually 30th, okay. which is not last, uh, but 2.4 billion. I'll go ahead and tell you 31 is the Cincinnati Bengals, which okay. I thought was a little bit surprising. All right, don't tell me the last one. Cincinnati Bengals are 31. Yes. So it's got to be a team that hasn't been winning uh, historically, maybe is in a smaller market. Oh, this is tough. Um, it's gonna. I think it's going to throw you. Oh, really? I think it's really going to throw you. Okay. I'm going to give you one more guess, yeah, and then me, I'll tell give, you. Give me. Hang on. I'm trying to pull up just like the NFL standings. I know this has taken a while, but I really want to take one more guess. Uh, all right, let's go with the. I'm gonna go with the Carolina Panthers. It is not the Carolina Panthers. Dang. I think Carolina. It, yeah, they're 24, so bottom third ish. Yeah, I'm in the, oh, yeah, I'm in the, right in the neighborhood. neighborhood, but it is the number 32 NFL valued team according to Forbes from last season, the Buffalo Bills. What? Yeah. Never two point in a million. Yeah, years I told you it was going to throw you two point two seven billion, which is about a well, we'll call it five million, five ish million less than the Cincinnati Bengals. So right in the same neighborhood, uh, but their operating income is actually negative seventeen point six million dollars, um, which is pretty How crazy. How does that happen? I don't know, especially with Bills. But mafia? they're also. I, I would say that this is probably something that will start to shift. We'll start to see kind of the the ripple effects of Josh Allen and the success that they've had, especially since they're going to be building a brand new stadium here soon, and that may be part of why their operating income is so low, uh, because they're saving potentially more money or spending more money to do to buy things to build, etc. Um, but I, I think this will change. Pretty drastically uh, at the updated numbers, which we'll keep an eye on. Whenever All those right. come out, I, I I think it should actually be here uh, in the next couple of weeks. They usually do that over the summer. So, who are the top five most valuable? Let me let me guess. And you already told me the Broncos were not in the top ten. They they, were, they are ten. They were the 10. Broncos are ten. Cowboys are one. I heard yes. you say that. I'm going to go Cowboys one. I'm going to go Chicago Bears in the top five. Green nope. Bay Packers in the top five. Nope. L.A. Rams in the top five. Yes. Okay. So I've got two. We've got the Cowboys and the Rams. Uh, I'll give you the third because I did tease uh, this earlier. The Patriots. I was going to say New England Patriots. Two. Yeah, I heard you say it. I just I didn't catch all of it. Are the Chiefs in the top five? No. Chiefs are like twenty-two. I think if I scroll um, down. Wow. Okay. It's there are a couple Pittsburgh Steelers. Nope. And then maybe just because of market size, the New York Jets or the Giants? The Giants, yes. Giants. The Giants are right. three. Um, so here, one, again, Cowboys, two, Patriots, three Giants, four Rams, five. This is the one that I was really surprised by, the Washington football team. I, I knew they were up there. Yep, I knew they were up yeah. there. Closely Huge behind market, that. A lot of history. Yeah. The the next five in the top ten, though, it starts to kind of even out a bit. Chicago Bears, New York Jets. Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Denver Broncos, and then you get into like Houston, Seattle. Green Bay is 13. Pittsburgh is 14. Dolphins, middle of the pack at 15. The Raiders are close behind there. And then it just kind of 
you you get it. it. It you start to get a much better picture from there on out. There are some surprises just from my how I would think about it because you and I are very much very often on the same wavelength with some of these things, and I would have definitely been surprised at the Bills being last. I was when I read it originally. Yeah, uh, the Bills being last, but again, that'll probably change. Uh, we got to get to our last break. When we come back, we'll talk about the uh, College Football Hall of Fame ballot because there's a K-State Wildcat hoping to break in for the umpteenth time. It seems like he's been on the ballot every year for the last several years, and it's it's about dang time. So we'll talk about that next, as well as uh, kind of get you caught up on the NBA playoffs as well. segment of In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL 106.7 on your FM dial. I'm Jackson Schneider with James Westling today. Our last uh, real story right now is Kansas State or former Kansas State quarterback Michael Bishop, kind of a a legend for when K-State really kicked it into gear under Coach Bill Snyder. He is back on the College Football Hall of Fame ballot for the year 2023, which was released earlier today. He has been on the ballot, though, James, every year since 2016, but he has yet to be voted in, which is a little bit surprising, and obviously we're a little bit biased from where we're at in the world and our opinions on K-State sports, but he's one of the best quarterbacks ever to play at K-State. Um, led them to a 22-3 and record in the two years as the starter, uh, helped K-State beat Syracuse in the Fiesta Bowl as well, uh, was runner-up for the Heisman Trophy in 98, won the Davey O'Brien Award, threw for over 3,500 yards that season in 98 as well. Uh, but he's one of 80 people on the potential ballot for next year's um, College Football Hall of Fame. So will will this be the year that he gets elected into the Hall of Fame? Man, I hope so, but I would say the fact that he's been on the ballot every year since 2016, you said, uh, the odds are probably stacked against him. And looking at some of the other names on the, the, the ballot, there are some really good players, obviously, some big names. But Michael Bishop, you know, I think the thing that's probably hurting him is just the fact that he only played two seasons at Kansas State. He was a junior college player. And looking at all these other guys on the ballot, there are few and far between guys that only played two seasons of Division I football. Michael Bishop changed the game, though. I know it was 97-98, and you think, at least my era, we think, well, that wasn't that long ago. But the bottom line is, quarterbacks didn't run the ball back then like Michael Bishop ran the ball. You had your guys like T. Martin and you know other quarterbacks that ran the ball a little bit during that era. But nobody like Michael Bishop, who had nearly 1,000 yards both of his seasons at K-State on the ground, as well as what he did in the uh, through the air. And really, he revolutionized college football, him and Bill Snyder together in terms of the dual-threat quarterback. After him, you had Michael Vick, and you had guys like Brad Smith at Missouri, and you had you know, guys that could do both. Sure, you had back in that era, you had Scott Frost, and you had uh, Eric Crouch, and you had Tommy Frazier before Bishop. 
but those guys were somewhat one-dimensional in that they didn't throw the ball. You know, Michael Bishop was the first dual-threat quarterback uh, of that era. But did you see some of the other names? I, on this yeah, list? I'm reading. I'm actually okay. reading through all yeah, the names like right Gonzalez, now. There, there's uh, a lot of really, really good names. Warwick so Dunn, I get it. Uh, Kijana <laughs> Carter. Reggie Bush. You get deep into this list. And I'm, I'm looking at like Kellen Moore and Antoine Randall L., uh, Simeon Rice, Ron Rivera. Uh, uh, there's just a lot of big names. Josh Heupel was on there. Yeah. Um, Ken Dorsey, Miami, Julius Peppers, Tim North Tebow. Carolina. <laughs> is Tim Tebow on yeah, the list? Tim Tebow, yeah, Tim uh, Tebow is towards the bottom. And then Peter there's a bunch Warwick, of, Florida State. Yeah. D'Angelo Williams, Memphis. Although, I don't know. I mean, like, so here's my how thought. How many guys make it? I don't know. How the many out of these eight? Let's see if I can find that. Um, here, here we go. 12. You vote for 12. You vote for 12. You okay. think Bishop's going to be one do, of the top but 12? Do all 12, do 12 get in? Well, I don't or know. is that just your top 12 voting for voting? Oh, that's a good question. I just assumed that they would take 12. The criteria first and f- that's Hall of uh, Fame consideration. Um, can must, one of, of eight district screening committees. The PDF blah, blah, is 30 blah. pages. It's yeah, so this, this is it's crazy. Ridiculous. Like, I'm not a great reader to begin with, uh, but we'll have to see if we can figure it out how many get eight. inducted. They have FBS, uh, F, FCS players, too. Did you see that? I did not. Yeah, you vote for four. Four of FCS, Division Two, Division Three, and NAIA. We've oh. got... Yeah, check this out. So, I did not know that. We've got... Um, just kind of skimming through this. We've got a guy from Central Oklahoma, Truman State, Missouri. Uh, we've got a guy from... A couple guys from Northwest Missouri State. Um... Not seeing any Kansans. Oh, Bethel, Kansas. Ed Smith, wide receiver, 1983 to 86. He's on the ballot. Congrats, Ed. That would get my vote, just for that right there. Bethel Threshers. Got to put on for the the KCAC, the NAIA, and, of course, the rolling Threshers from down in North Newton. Uh, So, James, here's my thought. As, As we look through all of these names, and there are a lot of them, and a lot of really good ones. I'm still pretty biased because I feel like with the seasons that he had in 97 and 98, outside of of falling literally like this short of a trip to the national championship game, that is the difference between him being in in easily and now on his like sixth ballot, seventh ballot potentially uh, on this list because. No, unfortunately, and this is just the way that sports are, a lot of times nobody remembers the guys who finished second, right? Especially the Big 12 Conference. When you had everything in the bag and all you need to do is close out Texas A&M and you lose, that stinks. But I'm telling you, for people who are not in Kansas or around Manhattan or, or our area, they don't know exactly how great Michael Bishop was. And I'll, I'll tell you, I was three years old, so I only know from watching old VHS tapes that my dad has from when K-State was that good and doing a lot of reading. Uh, but there's so many people that I'm sure have no idea just because he also didn't go on to have a superstar NFL career like half the guys on that list ended up having. Yeah, I think it depends on you know the generation and the era of you know football you were watching. People that 
you know, are, are my age or older, nationwide, they knew about Michael Bishop. I mean, he finished runner-up in the Heisman. I mean, he had – he broke a lot of records his senior year at K-State. And even his junior year, you know, you got to remember back then, there weren't a billion bowl games. And so playing in the Fiesta Bowl in 1997, that was a standalone national televised broadcast. And everybody was talking about Donovan McNabb and how he might be the number one overall pick. The media, they were just gushing over Donovan McNabb. And Michael Bishop put on a show uh, in the Fiesta Bowl, ran circles around Donovan McNabb. K-State ends up destroying Syracuse as a heavy underdog. That's what put Michael Bishop on the map nationally. And the fact that he finished runner-up to Ricky Williams in 1998 in the Heisman, I think says a lot about the national perspective of Michael Bishop. Again, I think the thing that hurts him is the fact that he only played two seasons. I'm looking at this list, and there are not a lot of guys that only spent two seasons at their respective school. Maybe I'm overthinking that, but and I think probably the NFL factor plays a little bit of a role as well. You know, Tony Gonzalez is probably going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame on this first ballot. Um, even maybe Derek Johnson at Texas. Um, you know, the, the more I look at this list, you know, there, there are... But here's my it, question It's impressive. It's, it's, this is the College Football Hall of Fame. So is it... Is it I, I, I would imagine it's tough to vote solely on college careers, but like that's, that's my thought is, do Tony Gonzalez and, and some of these other guys jump to the front of the line because of their NFL careers that they had after college because if it's the college football hall of fame shouldn't you take into account their college careers great point i know it's really hard to take off that veil of looking back at it now but obviously you're going to think really highly of tony gonzalez with how well he played in the nfl for decades almost so it's it's just a really weird juxtaposition I guess because personally I'm again I'm biased I would have him in over a lot of these other guys who who may have had really good NFL careers but yeah. um I know Kellen right. Moore is a, was a really good quarterback at Boise State but he didn't put up the numbers really I don't think at at the Big 12 type level like he played in the Mountain West right okay so, I don't know I think it should be based off of what they did in college all right give me your top three who are your top three if you're only picking three guys out of this list, I mean, we've mentioned a ton of names, but Alex Smith, Utah, Jeremy Macklin, Missouri. I would put, uh, uh, let's see Eric here. Eric Rett, Florida. <laughs> There's a couple of good ones, like Toby Gerhardt, to me. I think that's an awesome one. He was a running back for Stanford. Stanford yeah. uh, he was really good. Uh, and then you've got, um, let's see, where'd it go? I just lost it. Justin Blackman from Oklahoma. That's a pre- or Oklahoma State, excuse me, but that's a really good one. Uh, great wide receiver. He was the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year in 2010. Was fifth in Heisman voting as a receiver, but he was also the Fiesta Bowl uh, Offensive MVP. Uh, and then I'd probably take uh, Eric Berry, too, just because um, he was a badass defensive back at Tennessee. And then, of course, he played for the Chiefs. So I'm kind of going back on my own thoughts there a little bit okay. as well. So I think it is hard, uh, but we'll have to see. We'll fi- we should find out here in a couple of months whether he actually makes it in or not. Uh, but unfortunately, James, this discussion has taken up our entire final segment. I wanted to talk some NBA playoffs, maybe touch on the NHL as well, but time just did not allow today. So we'll have to put that off till tomorrow. 
Are you going to let me give my top three? I want to quickly. Yes, very quickly. I'd go again. This is based off what they did in college. Tim Tebow, two national championships. That's a good one. Uh, can't can't not have him on the list. Reggie Bush, best college running back I've ever seen in my lifetime, just in terms of his big playability. And then my third guy, I'm kind of struggling with. I'm going to go back in the '90s. I'm going to go Peter Warwick, Florida okay. State. That's one that doesn't really ring much of a bell for me. But that's probably also what makes this so hard, right? Is you have to think back a good distance of time. And then there's so many to choose from. That doesn't make it any easier either. So um, good discussions today. Broncos, new ownership, Michael Bishop on the College Football Hall of Fame ballot. And, of course, we touched on arena football as well, which was fun for me. Uh, We'll be back at it, though, tomorrow, 515, right here on 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM.